You're listening to a special edition of Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, we look at a group of volunteers in San Francisco's Sunset District who have come together to help their more isolated neighbors affected by the shelter in place. You know, this is an endemic problem uh, between the, the hunger and the isolation. It was here before the virus. It'll be here after the virus. And we're hoping that our efforts will create a community that will continue to help those in need out here who are require food. What I hope um, for, for our community is that these relationships that we're building between the volunteers and with the neighbors, um, that these are going to last beyond the pandemic. I'm Mel Baker. This is a special edition of Civic. Hello, thank you for being here. I'm Lila LaHood. I'm the publisher of the San Francisco Public Press. And we are here to have a conversation with the founders of the Sunset Neighborhood Help Group. Um, and we're here to learn how they organized a really dynamic group of volunteers to help their elderly and at-risk neighbors, and actually anyone who needs help these days. And I think they can talk, uh, talk to us about the different kinds of requests they've received to help them with things like buying groceries and running errands during the coronavirus pandemic. So please join me in welcoming uh, Frank Plughoff and Bianca and Stefan Nanzik. So welcome. Thank you all for being here and joining us today. Thanks for having us. We also have Mika Boyle, who is our reporter for the San Francisco Public Press. And Mika was the one who wrote about the Sunset Neighborhood Health Group. And there's a story on our website that you can check out. Maybe we'll add that in the chat so people who haven't seen it can look at the story. Um, so we're going to have a conversation with our panelists for about 15 minutes. And then Daphne Magnawa, our Director of Membership and Community, is going to help us with questions from the Zoom chat. So if you're on the Zoom and have questions, please put your questions in the chat. If you're watching on Facebook Live, please put your questions there. And then at the end, we will be looking at the questions and bringing them to our panelists. Um, to get things started, Mika, if you would help us set the stage and tell us what you learned when we asked you to write about the Sunset Neighborhood Health Group. I learned about an amazing organization um, full of people from the Sunset District who are yeah, seeking to help their neighbors. It started with a Facebook post that Bianca put on a different neighborhood group, um, seeing if anyone wanted to help her um, deliver groceries to people in need. Frank responded, a Facebook group was formed. Overnight, they had over 150 members. Immediately, other people from the neighborhood started organizing and just like a wide pool of talents and skills and backgrounds that really came together. Um, they canvassed the entire neighborhood, set up a hotline and a case management system and actually have social workers that screen all of the calls. Um, so now, two weeks later, they have over a thousand members on their Facebook group. And people are using the group as almost like a community posting board to ask quarantine-related questions, ask for help, introduce other solutions. Over probably right over like 100 by now, elderly people have been helped. And it's not just elderly. I mean, anyone can post and ask for help. Anyone um, from single parents to people that are sick or have compromised immune systems. I mean, the response has been amazing. And it seems like, you know, these core members have just really you know, jump to the occasion and it's turned into almost like a grassroots nonprofit. Frank and Bianca and Stefan, Mika explained the, the genesis of this, but tell us how you decided to put so much effort into this and how this group came together to be what it is today. 
I didn't know Frank before. He just reached out on Facebook in this other group to me. And then we were kind of talking behind the scene on what we could do for the neighborhood. And um, he suggested to form that group. I just started to create the group, did write out the basics, what we're going to do, thought about that. And then, um, I mean, what we do um, and what was very, very important in the beginning, that our helpline is accessible to everybody. That's why we said, oh, we don't just do a Facebook group because um, elderly people are often not um, on social media. And that's why we said like, oh, we, we need to, to reach everybody. And then we came up with this very traditional way with the flyers and the helpline to ensure that really everybody in the neighborhood gonna have um, access um, to our assistance. So what we have right now, we have weekly about 100 um, calls for actions and we have worked on 250 cases in total. I must say it's a really great team. We didn't know each other before. I only know Stefan, he's my husband. But everybody does a little bit of work and um, we answered all the calls. We um, came back to all the people who reached out to us. And the main things we, we do when calls come in, there are a lot of requests for grocery shopping. We um, found out a need for um, free food. So the food pantry is our second thing. And the problem is um, a lot of um, organizations that are overwhelmed um, with all the requests quests coming in um, right now. So they, they are so swamped that they can't answer um, anymore their hotlines. And we try to assist the people in need who have to sign up for a food bank, for example, for the food pantry. And we create it because there are so long waiting lists and we need to, to help them now. Um, we created an interim um, food pantry to bridge that gap until they get actually access to the, the food bank. I'm curious, uh, so with this interim food pantry that you've created for the neighborhood, who is providing that food? Who's, who's paying for it? Is this uh, from, is it coming from the, uh, the, the formal pantries or are you getting donations to buy this food? We work together as the first um, United Presbyterian Church, mm -hmm. and we reached out to them, gave them a couple of our volunteers. So Frank um, Plokhoff, he's, he's very involved in that. I'm sure he can tell more about that. So what we did, we sent volunteers, and in return, we get back um, the leftovers from the food bank, and we distribute them um, to people in need afterwards. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. Frank, could you tell us a little bit about that partnership and, and how that's unfolded and, and, uh, um, and if that's, that aspect of what you're doing is going to expand? Um, yeah, so what's, what's happening right now is we are offering them about eight to ten volunteers um, each weekend, depending on their need. Um, it's about three hours, three and a half hours of really heavy labor. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. we're when, when we're talking food, we're talking, um, it comes in on pallets. So we are stuffing bags and bags and bags. And at the end, there is some left over. So we're very fortunate that they allow us to take some of that food and distribute it to people in our neighborhood who need it. You know, as Bianca said, you know, there are a lot of people out there. You know, this is an endemic problem uh, between the, the hunger and the isolation. 
it was here before the virus. It'll be here after the virus. And we're hoping that our efforts will create a community that will continue to help those in need out here who are, require food. So as this grows, right now I'm working with the Marin Food Bank and they uh, operate four or five pantries within the neighborhood, within the Sunset neighborhood. So what we're going to do is we're going to be offering volunteers to the other pantries in order that we exchange this work that we do for some of the food if they have any leftovers so that we can continue to have a pool of food to distribute within our neighborhood to those who need it. And I'm sure that those pantries appreciate that as well because their whole mission is about getting food to people and you're, you're assisting them in making that happen. Well, we're assisting them, but we're assisting them in a very interesting way. You know, they're, they're shocked that we walk in there and we work so hard. And, you know, we put, we put bags together faster than they've ever had them. You know, so we're in, we're, we, we distribute the food, we clean up, we're out, and it's done. And they're very, very happy for our assistance. So, Stefan, let's, let's, uh, let's hear a little bit from you. Can you tell us a little bit about the organizing? And we're especially interested in the technology, both the online and offline aspects of this initiative. And if you can tell us about the technology that you've used and the helpline and how you set things up to be able to accommodate requests from so many people in your neighborhood. Frank came up with this idea of like doing this. First few days, I wasn't involved at all. Like I was pretty much seeing this like as something that Bianca's driving and I, I like the idea and I love what they were doing. Uh, my background is tech marketing, so I'm kind of like not really in this space traditionally. Um, but as I started noticing like the momentum that they have and also the issues that both of them started struggling with, like just with the volume, with the amount of things that needed to be done, I kind of thought like it would help to tap a little into these, the startup kind of like agile methodology and how to actually treat a problem day by day, chunk it into small pieces, solve one thing every day, get it solved, move on to the next one and kind of like really like step by step, make sure that the need that is out there, which those guys actually found a great way to surface the need very neatly. I mean, if you think the helpline is the things um, because you do get like all the different pieces of like, this is actually what is needed once you had a very generic message out there, hey, we're there to help. Um, and then, I mean, the team, like there are actually two other members of the leadership team. Like we do meet every night at 8 p.m. for like a half hour call to review what happened today. How do we want to adjust this tomorrow? And it's pretty much like a unilateral um, kind of group decision on where we see things breaking. Um, and that's probably like some of the thoughts that I bring to this team of like, I'm used to work in an environment where we try to do impossible things and everything breaks every day. This is actually normal. This is not traditionally how I think nonprofits operate um, or government entities operate. They think more like a long-term plan, vision, kind of like all of that um, stuff that in a, in a time of disruption, in a time where you can't predict what happens tomorrow, uh, it's really hard to be that fast um, because you can't reassess every day. So for example, when we did the helpline, it was very apparent to me that it doesn't make sense for us to have somebody's mobile phone on the flyer because that would never be able to be scaled if you have hundreds of calls a day or something like that because then how do we do that? Um, so we started with a Google phone, like it's a virtual phone number, if you will, which directly goes to a voicemail box, which is recorded. And that even in the early days when we needed, it allowed us to forward this as an email to somebody else so we can distribute the alert, uh, work on, on multiple people. 
And so then it was really step-by-step just figuring out you don't want to over-engineer this because then it's too complicated and we're dealing with a lot of volunteers who are very eager to help, but they don't necessarily have any formal background in any of that. So we can't make it too complicated, but at the other side, we can't have it too simple because then they're going to be swamped. We overload them with too much complexity. Like they're not going to be able to sustain this long-term. Everybody has a day job. Everybody has a very hectic schedule right now. We're all affected by the crisis. And we all need to find ways how to just wing it in one way or the other. I mean, that's, that's a, great, a great explanation. Bianca, can you talk a little bit about what kind of help you've gotten from the city and maybe a little bit about the, um, how with, among the five organizers, how have you divided up the work? Are different people responsible for different aspects of the coordination? I mean, we were um, working very closely with um, Supervisor Gordon Marr in his office. So he's having a phone bank and we were sending out um, volunteers um, and they did like a call down to all the seniors and that helped us um, a lot to identify problems in the neighborhood. So basically what we do is we meet up each night um, and evaluate um, where we have to send help and um, what's immediately um, what we should do now. So I'm curious, how do you decide which volunteer is going to help which person in need? Is it that people, um, that that there's a list and then people say, I'll I'll take that? How do you determine Mm -hmm. who's going to, who's who's going to respond to which request? I mean, most um, of the coordination um, was in the group. It's going through the Facebook group. So we have, um, 1,100 volunteers who kind of jump in. So we do a call for action on the um, Facebook group um, page. We have a sign-up form for people who are not on Facebook so that we can connect the the people um, directly to the neighbors in need. And also we we do this, we we check frequently if there are any obstacles um, and then um, what often happens um, is that one volunteer kind of takes care of one neighbor and says like, oh, okay, I did a grocery run for um, this person and um, he, he goes like once a week shopping. So I, I gonna just schedule with him um, on an individual base on the, the grocery runs and um, just buy for him each week um, the food. Ah, so that initial request then establishes a relationship that becomes an ongoing uh, pairing or partnership. Um, yeah, yeah. That actually sounds very effective because then the individuals who need help don't have to ask each time they need assistance. Mm-hmm. The other thing was we were thinking um, to give everybody a phone buddy um, who kind of frequently checks in um, with um, a senior and looks what he, um, what he needs and just how he feels. Because sometimes people just call us um, because they are scared and they um, need somebody to talk. And um, it's it's just to give them some comfort to, to know that there's somebody, if they need really something, um, they can reach out and that um, we're here for each other. That's amazing. So in addition to, to helping with physical needs, you're providing emotional support as well and, and maybe some social connection. We'll continue our discussion with members of the Sunset Neighborhood Help Group in a moment. You're listening to a special edition of Civic. Now back to our webinar with members of the Sunset Neighborhood Help Group. 
you know, we've got a lot of questions coming from the audience. The first question we have, and and whoever wants to answer this can answer this. What have you found to be the most successful method for uncovering needs? You know, are older people in the community finding the flyers and or receiving the flyers and calling the helpline, or are most of the requests coming in through the Facebook page? So the flyer has been distributed by volunteers to over 30,000 households within the sunset. Wow. That's how great the volunteers have been. And I believe that we get most of our requests uh, right straight from, from this. Also, um, we just received uh, front page news on the local newspaper. And so our calls are going to increase a little bit from that as well. But primarily, it's the flyers, and I think we're getting a lot of word of mouth as well. So as this initiative grows, I mean, you talked about being able to, you know, work with, with food pantries to get groceries. Do you anticipate that there's going to be a need to subsidize groceries or other needs? And are you planning to either seek funding from the city or to pool donations or to do something uh, on that level so that you can continue to satisfy all of the requests that are coming in? Maybe jumping in on that. From the get-go, we have even like as one of the rules in our community said that this group is not going to ask for, um, for financial support or assistance and is not providing it. Uh, we don't necessarily prevent people from doing this at a peer-to-peer, kind of neighbor-to-neighbor level. But since uh, we were very savvy on the beginning to think about once you open the door to money, there's a lot of scam risk. And we mm. didn't want this group to be kind of like overly controlled by the fear of there could be scammers, there could be people trying to exploit the financial aspect of the transactions. Um, so we very um, thoughtfully, I think, try to stay away from the from the finance aspects of it, understanding that it is still a problem. So at a later stage, um, if you really prioritized all the different problems, um, this may be one that we need to go back and think about how to um, how to partner probably with more of an established organization, but also to really translate this group is neighbors getting together doing stuff that they can't control there is no organization there is no nonprofit. there is no entity that should have a fund that we would manage because that's not really us that's why we cooperate with food banks or the office of like supervisor mar because these are the established help organizations and we're if you will just an interim kind of like we bridge everything together we probably move a little faster more agile than they do, but long-term, like we want them to go back to be able to provide all of their services. It's just understood that right now is a time of disruption where some of these things just don't work or where there's more demand than usual. You have all been in communication with Supervisor Gordon Marr. Have other neighborhood groups or has the city asked you to talk to other neighborhood groups about, you know, how you, because you've, you've set up a very effective, as you said, peer-to-peer network in a way for neighbors to coordinate their volunteer efforts. Are you, are you talking to other neighborhoods about what you've done? And anyone can take this. Bianca? I mean, I mean we do. Um, we connect um, to other, and then sometimes when a complicated case is coming in, um, we kind of exchange, oh, how would you handle that? Um, we set up best practices, how to do a grocery run, how to transport um, a person who might be... Um, ill with um, the coronavirus. These are things that everybody at the moment has to deal with um, in the neighborhood groups. So um, there's a lot of communication and um, cooperation between um, other neighborhood groups with us at the moment. 
in the neighborhood, we are closer to each other because we are so local. So it's not like a citywide thing um, where, where people don't um, feel so connected to. That's why we have so many volunteers also because it's, oh, it's a lady next door I could help. Um, it's, it's not some, somebody on the other side of the world. We have another question from the audience about uh, the technology. Uh, so Stefan, if, if, you could, if you could tell us, people want to know specifically what technology are you using or did you custom build some of these, these items? I mean, you mentioned the, the Google phone line. What, if you could just sort of give us a list of what bits of technology are you using to help coordinate this group. I can give you a snapshot of what we have today. Um, but again, like it did change day to day. So we did start, if you will, with just a Google phone number and email. Like very soon there were some Google Docs to share knowledge and kind of keep track of meetings. Zoom was quickly introduced so that our team, like the leadership team, could actually do their stand-ups every night. So we have videos, so again, people didn't know each other, so it helps to have like a face-to-face as much as we can in the shelter in place. So video conferencing was added really quickly. Um, it became, I think, fairly apparent that like you can't build something custom at that pace at which we're moving. So pretty much everything that we're using is a ready-made component that um, could just be put together. So the phone then went from email to it's a generic collaboration system called Podio, which was actually um, sold by one of my former employers. So I was very familiar with that one. So we ramped that one up to route the phone calls as an email into that as a case management system. And then that one is a very flexible framework that allows you to build like more specialization and customization without really needing to code or kind of like build it too custom. So it's, it's almost built for an agile. Like in, in a lot of the startups I work for, we have used something like that in the early stages because you do know that you need to change your process day to day dramatically. And if you had something too rigid, like you just can't keep that up from a tech change perspective. The Facebook group obviously was there from the very beginning, but it's standard native Facebook. Okay, that's that's helpful. I think that that probably answered the question. I'm going to uh, take another question to Frank. Somebody asked, uh, the volunteers fired 30,000 households, which is amazing. Are you seeking to expand beyond that? And in addition to Facebook, are you posting on Nextdoor? Are there other ways that you're trying to get the word out? Or at this point, do you feel like the word has gotten out to the people, the, the universe that you're trying to serve? Flyers are also in Chinese, mm-hmm. um, we have we have our uh, triage group, our uh, people who take calls, uh, speak uh, four dialects of Chinese, I think, and you know we're trying to expand that way. Um, we don't want to go any further than our neighborhood. Are Are you on Nextdoor as well, yeah. or do you feel as though you've covered things with with Facebook and the flyers? Uh, I personally know one of the local supervisors for uh, the neighborhood on next door. And she has been promoting us there. I understand that uh, Facebook breaks the sunset into various districts. And I don't know that we've had any success with next door in, in any district other than Parkside. So um, I think, you know, we, we also take our flyers, put them in our bags. The only thing we can do is just, Make sure that we continue to ask people to promote us. Uh, you know, that, that voice, voice, that peer-to-peer thing uh, is about the only thing we have left to do. As well. also, 
but add on to that a little like i think the way that we use the facebook group is very non-traditional so we almost use the facebook group as our internet for the volunteers so we coordinate and organize ourselves through this group it's not necessarily like a communication vehicle like a lot of groups normally are um, but since we needed something that everybody can kind of join and then very easily collaborate with the others we needed something to connect them that is like as easy to use as a facebook group so that's kind of why we always point everything back to the facebook group because we can't have like three or four of these groups and then still collaborate across those the other things are really channels and obviously any channel helps to kind of spread the work so there are volunteers in our group that take it upon themselves to kind of go to other channels and kind of distribute it more um, it's just from an organization perspective, not very feasible to have multiple communities in peril. Uh, while obviously the channels make a lot of sense. Um, that, that does make a lot of sense. And I, I, could, I could see um, how keeping everyone consolidated would be most important. So we've already gone a little bit over, but I'd love to give each of you a chance to sort of say a final thing. So Bianca, why don't we start with you? If there's one last thing that you'd like to leave people with, or if they have questions about what you're doing, what, what, what would you like to say? I mean, I, I really would like to, or what I hope um, for, for our community is that these relationships that we're building between the volunteers and with the neighbors, um, that these gonna last beyond the pandemic. And um, I mean, we are standing together and it's, it's, it's so um, inspiring how, um, and overwhelming how, how much um, people wanted to help. Um, so I, I think that's a very beautiful um, statement about um, our neighborhood and um, how people are there for each other. Um, Stefan, what, what would you like to say as your, as your closing statement? Another aspect that volunteering has brought up is just to really like, make social distancing a theme. It's very counterintuitive. It's very awkward sometimes to do it right. Like if you help like seniors, you feel almost rude and impolite to kind of do something like that. Um, but it helps these thousand people like in this community, like they also share their experiences of where they struggle with that. It helps to create the awareness that we don't forget this because it's so easy to just forget in a moment that this is actually important. And then you fall into your natural like habits of like being close to people and shaking hands and kind of like trying to be nice as a group to kind of like leverage that to also mentally just work through how important it is that we keep our distance right now and it doesn't matter like you can't solve this on your own like we need to solve this as a community like probably the main takeaway that i'd like to leave there okay and frank we're going to give you the last word from the group what, what would you like to share uh two years ago i contracted a rare neurological disease and i was bedridden for quite some time and i had a couple of people who would move my car on, on street sweeping day or they would come and they would bring me food. And when this crisis hit, you know, and Bianca's uh, heartfelt post went out, I was thinking, you know, what's it like for me? What would, you know, to be alone or isolated or unable? And my heart just like, I gotta do something. I need to pay, I need to pay this back. I need to help people. And I realized that Right now, when we have all of these volunteers who have the same heartfelt urge to help, that's what's going to get us through this. And every one of those volunteers is an absolute hero. And I can't tell you how grateful I am that they 
if they reach out to people in our neighborhood. Well, thank you all for joining us today. This has been a great conversation. I know we've got lots of contact information if people want to reach out to, uh, to the Sunset Neighborhood Help Group. Um, if anybody wants to uh, connect with Mika, you can uh, contact her through the public press. Um, you can also, we, we're happy to hear from uh, anyone who has questions about this reporting or ideas for other reporting that you'd like to see us do. Um, about uh, pandemic issues in San Francisco, um, what neighbors are doing to help each other and beyond. Um, thank you all for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you at the next event. This edition of Civic is from the first in a series of webinars from the San Francisco Public Press, hosted on Zoom to connect our audience with people who are making a difference or providing useful information about the pandemic. You can find out more about these webinars by joining our mailing list on our main webpage, sfpublicpress.org. Thanks for listening.